0: Welcome to Leveling the Playing Field, a podcast featuring women who work in sport. My name is Bobby Sue Doyle Hazard, and I am so happy to have you all here. Uh, This episode is going to air on Valentine's Day, so happy Valentine's Day to all of you. And just a little note, whether you're single, committed, complicated relationship, whatever it is, you are worthy of love. And being in a relationship does not define you or whether or not you are worthy of that love. So just remember that. Today, I'm really excited. I have Shannon Miller. Yeah, the Shannon Miller, uh, former Olympic gymnast and now businesswoman on the pod. It was really exciting for me that she would even consider being on the podcast given um, kind of how big of a deal she is. Um it's hard to give an introduction for someone like her because we all kind of know her, right? Um, she is the only woman in any sport to be inducted into the United States Olympic hall of fame twice, once as an individual and once with her team with seven Olympic and nine world championship medals. Shannon is one of the most decorated American gymnasts, male or female. And today she runs Shannon Miller Lifestyle, a women's health and wellness business. In addition, Shannon is an outspoken advocate for research and prevention related to ovarian cancer. She's a survivor of germ cell ovarian cancer. And we talk a little bit about that. Now, obviously, the timing of this with the Larry Nassar situation um, means that we're going to talk about that a little bit. But. Um, as far as a content warning, while we reference it, we do not discuss any details um, and we don't get into much about uh, the testimony or the victim impact statements. What we do talk about and what Shannon focuses on is what needs to be done with the sport moving forward and how we can have a safe and fun environment for athletes um, as we move on from the situation. So just wanted to give a heads up on that um, and know that if you need to skip, um, it's really only a couple minutes um, and uh, hopefully it um, isn't too triggering for, for you all. Um, And then just lastly, a reminder I'm going to be at a few events coming up um, next week. I'm going to be both at Michigan State University's College of Law. They have a sports law symposium, and I'll be speaking there um, with uh, another woman. And then I will be the following day. So on the 24th, I'm going to be in Amherst, Massachusetts at UMass for the Women of Eisenberg Conference. And I am speaking on a panel, and then I'm doing another um, session with Professor Nefertiti Walker. Um, of the sports management program so that'll be fun and if you're at any of those events please 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 come say hi let's take pictures let's you know chat i would love to meet any of you if you happen to be there so now let's get on to the interview hi shannon
1: hi how are you doing
0: i am doing great how are you over in jacksonville
1: I'm good. Doing very well. Thank you.
0: Uh, thank you so much for being on. This is going to be really exciting for my listeners, um, and especially because you've made that transition from being an athlete over to being a businesswoman.
1: It's, you know, it's interesting. You never know where life is going to take you, and uh, and it's been an interesting journey, but, um, but I'm so glad I'm here. It's, it's, just the joy of my life to be able to kind of do all the things I love each day.
0: And, you know, you started off kind of being your own brand when you were really young as a gymnast. Um, You ended up going to University of Houston for marketing and entrepreneurship. How did you choose that school?
1: Well, I actually, I started off in, um, I started off in psychology. uh, psychology, Oh my gosh. And, (laughs) Um, yes. And then I kind of like a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, young, um, adults, I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. And I felt like I was drawn to marketing because of uh, so much that I was already having to deal with, um, you know, with regard to my post Olympic career. And so it kind of lent itself to marketing and, it really just it, it interested me, and I thought, well, I'll go for marketing. Houston, the University of Houston. At the time, um, I had started at the University of Oklahoma, but the University of Houston had one of um, only a handful of entrepreneurship programs. And so, I got my marketing degree, and then actually uh, from from Houston in the end. And then I stayed an extra two years for the entrepreneurship program. They chose thirty students for it. And um, and I was honored to get picked, and it was almost like a mini MBA. I mean, it was a very intense course. And from there, really, that was one of the last classes I took during that program was a business law course. And that really um, led me to going ahead and <laughs> and and taking the Lcat and and thinking, okay, well, maybe I'll go to law school because there's just so much I still need to know about running a business.
0: Yeah, so you ended up at one of the schools that I got rejected from, uh, BC Law, <laughs> <laughs> in Boston College. Um, it, you you went there, but you ended up not taking uh, the bar exam. It what helped make that decision for you?
1: Well, it's funny, um, it, and it was funny because you know about half the class was not there to even. Practice law, and I fell into that group. I had wanted to start my own company. I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to start my foundation as well. And I think law school for me was um, a great learning experience. I was already signing contracts since the moment that I was age eligible to do so. Right. And most of the time, I did not understand what they all said. I mean, I would read them, but I never really knew what all the ins and outs were and all the language and and everything. And so I had heard, you know, we always hear about horror stories of athletes, you know, losing everything or being led astray because they've let other people take care of everything. And that just made me nervous. And I just, I'm a little bit of a control freak (laughs) by nature. And so I just thought, I want to know what I don't know. And so, law school was a really great experience for me. It made me think in a different way. And there was probably six months in there where I thought, you know what? I think I actually really might like to practice law. I loved intellectual property. Um, I could have totally been happy doing that, but um, I really wanted to try to start my business. And I really wasn't even sure what that business was going to be at the time. I had lots of ideas and it wasn't until a few years later that, um, I ran into my business partner and, um, we just kind of came up with this thing and, and I just decided, okay, I'm going to give this a go. If it doesn't work out, I'll take the bar exam. I'll be a lawyer. (laughs) It's, it's my fallback. And, um, and the company just kind of took off and I really enjoy what I do.
0: How did you find Boston? Uh, you are kind of from like the Midwest, correct?
1: Yes, I will. I'm I'm all over. <laughs> I, so so um, I'm from Oklahoma. Um, I was raised there. I trained there. Um, I started at the University of Oklahoma while I was still training for uh, my last Olympic Games. And, um, and actually then I come back in 2000. So mm-hmm. I was still going to college at that time. I'm kind of like, the student that went to college forever. I think it took me maybe seven years <laughs> in all um, with all the part-time classes. But um, but then I finished up in Houston, added a couple extra years for that. Went to law school, and um, for me it was just the best you know school that you know I could get into. And um, I was going to need to be around Boston during that time, and it really worked out well. Um, it was a great place for me to learn. Sure. And it was a beautiful campus, which I just kind of fell in love with the campus. It to is be really pretty. Yeah. Um, but so it was just, it, it was, it's one of those times in your twenties where you just kind of want to venture out mm-hmm. and try things.
0: Uh, BC law has, um, a, a few sports law classes. I know that Did you end up taking any of those.
1: Gosh! Oh, you're making me think back. Um, I, no, I'm sure I took a <laughs> no. I'm sure I took a sports law class because I think one of the things that came up during um, sports law might have been um, uh, Paul Hom and and his um, kind of the fight for his gold medal during that time and <laughs> and so it was it was very I, not not personal in a way that I had anything to do with it, but just personal in a way that you know it had dealt with gymnastics and and so it, it was interesting.
0: Sure. I mean, and then just from a general, like, you know, you talking about um, having to sign contracts when you were as young as you were and and just knowing um, that you, yourself, your name was a brand, right? That it was potentially trademarkable and all of those things. I'm guessing law school was, you felt really relevant to your life.
1: It did. I think it, well, I felt relevant in more ways than just with regard to a brand. And, you know, back in that time, athletes didn't really think as much about their name or their likeness being part of a brand. I mean, maybe the the, the top of the top and, and ones with, you know, a ton of endorsements, you know, may, maybe more so on that end. But nowadays you think about with social media, which didn't exist right. when, um, you know, when I was going through all of it, um, you are a brand, regardless, um, everyone's kind of a brand in essence. And so what are you going to do with that? And so it really did cause me to think about, um, what I want to do with my life bigger than just kind of have a job and, um, it, in that security, but, but what do I, what's the legacy I want to leave beyond sport? Sure. Um, I, you know, cause there's, I've always felt like there's, there's more to life than, than just gymnastics. So, um, What else do I, can I give, can I do, can I help others? What are those ways that I can do that?
0: Right. And, I mean, right now is a really interesting time, obviously, for the sport of gymnastics. And um, we would be remiss if we didn't touch on this very, very quickly. Um, But I think you've been one of the great voices about um, how to make changes moving forward. in in the gymnastics culture and sport generally so that there isn't another um, situation similar to to what we've all been um, seeing on TV with Larry Nassar, right? And, um, you know, can you talk about a little bit of some of the things that you uh, have mentioned with regards to how you make those changes moving forward and and what you, you see with the sport?
1: You know it's it is just there's almost no words for uh, what has gone on. Uh, it, by this horrible man and and the the ways things have slipped through cracks and the common sense measures that were not in place. I mean it, it is as a mother, um, as an athlete, as a woman, it's just it's it is horrific to think about. And for me, it's kind of, I have to kind of take a step back and take, take a step away from the emotional and instead of allowing the emotion and, and kind of that, that outrage to, um, to bring things down, how do I, ch- I ask, ask myself, how do I channel this for progress? How do I channel this to um, make sure that it's better for every gymnast that's going to gym right now? tonight? How do I um you know what are the things that I I can do? And um and sometimes that's what we have to do is kind of control what we can control and and do the best we can. And so for me it's um, you know, seven, eight months um as part of the committee to choose the new CEO. Um, I think, you know, I have a decent skill set for that. So that was a way that I could help. Um, further progress. Get someone in there that is um, very focused on change. And time will tell if it was the right choice. We pray that it was, but um, time will tell. And I think beyond that, my focus is really Mm -hmm. solutions-based. Education is a huge component for me. We have to make sure not only um, adult members of USA Gymnastics, coaches, administration, gym owners, um, have that mandatory abuse um, education and comprehensive abuse education because it's not just sexual abuse. I mean, we're talking about bullying and cyberbullying and all types of abuse. Um, and, and whether that's in the gym, whether it's a parent or a teacher or an uncle, children need to have that education and the adults around them need to have that education because the more people are aware of the issues how to prevent the issues how to um, understand the red flags the less darkness exists and so that's really important to me is having that in place there's also the component of going beyond just a background check right for Mm -hmm. coaches need to make sure coaches Gym owners, any adult that's around a child, and we see this in schools, we see it in soccer and swim. You know, I have two kids. Right. I had to take a six-hour course <laughs> just to go on a one-hour field trip with my son, and I wasn't even volunteering. I was just attending. But you do it because it's important that all adults that are around children are educated on what to do and what not to do, and what's appropriate, and and how to signal if something's not appropriate. Um, you've got safe sport in place, so. There are things that need to be challenged Um, just because it has been this way does not mean it needs to stay this way. So let's challenge some of those notions of how things have been done in the past. Let's take the good. Let's take people that have great experiences because there's gymnasts all across the country like me that have had really great experiences in the sport. So how do we learn from the positive experiences, keep that part of it and then also understand what absolutely doesn't work and change those things. And so I, I want to help um, in in those areas especially and, and just try to help solve the problem and know it's not going to create a no a, a zero abuse situation. We all know that there's just no hundred percent solution, but you can get really close and you can make it to where it's the least opportunistic place for a predator to be. And so that's what we want to do. Let's just try to make it as absolutely safe as possible for all of our athletes so they can focus on training and having fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I know that you have spoken out about some of the just general common sense things that can be put in place. Um, Do you mind just talking a little bit about that?
1: Um, I don't mind. The only thing that I hesitate is I, I always feel like it's not a soundbite issue. Sure. Um, and that's why you know for nine months I really <laughs> didn't do any media because I just feel like it's it's more important to just kind of get in and do the work. And um, but but it is there is a, a portion of it. It's important for people to know that that work is being done and, and people are pushing for change. So that is important. But I mean, you could go through a list of a hundred to a thousand little things that could easily be changed to uh, make it safer, better. Um, And it's not reinventing the wheel. Mm -hmm. These are just taking from best practices and processes and procedures that already exist in a number of um, different sports or industries, um, common sense items. And I go back to why you would ever have a male trainer alone with a female athlete. I mean, that's that's common sense. It just doesn't happen. So there are things that are easily fixable. It is, it, it, it's hard to digest that these things weren't done. Um, it's hard to digest the things that fell through the cracks that allowed um, so many more victims sure. um, if, if for this to happen to so many more victims. And so that part is really difficult <laughs> to digest, but at this point for me, it's kind of, I I personally can't do anything to change the past. I wish I could. (laughs) I, I would do anything to take away the pain for these survivors. I just, again, as a mom, it just breaks my heart. But what I can do is step up today and I can step up tomorrow and I can continue to, um, really push for that change in, in very significant and specific ways.
0: Do you think there'll be more, um, uh, former athletes, uh, former gymnasts who um, want more leadership positions within um, USA Gymnastics, and in you know, I'm not entirely sure your board breakdown generally there, but do you think that you'll start seeing some of those um, people like yourself who who step up into leadership positions?
1: Um, it's hard to say, and and I personally, I, I. I am, um, I am really not in a leadership position (laughs) or say I have no, I have no official position. I'm just, as my husband would say, I'm really good at nagging. So, (laughs) um, I, am kind of a, I, I like to fix things. I like to, I'm a doer. That was my coach. I I was never the most talented or the strongest or the most flexible, but, but I was a workhorse. So that's where I'm most comfortable is just getting in and getting the work done. But I do think, I do think it's a possibility, um, for more athletes to kind of step up and and take those roles. But, you know, I think so many athletes, they step up and they take the role of gym owner. They take the role of coach. Mm -hmm. Um, they love working with athletes. Um, so many become, uh, coaches and assistant coaches at, um, colleges across the country. So, um, and, and I think that's what's difficult about this because, um, yes, there are some bad seeds um, in every industry, in every sport, and we can definitely find ways to do more um, it, without a doubt. But so many gyms across the country are, are – driven by athletes. Mm -hmm. They're people that love the sport and they love the kids and um, they just really want to do their very best. And I think that's one of the great things about um, the potential for change is that I think people that love the sport and want to see the sport succeed, and I'm not talking about a, a particular governing body, I'm just talking about the sport in general. People who love the sport want to do everything that they can to make it safe and make it fun, and make it an enjoyable experience for these athletes, whether they want to compete at the Olympics, or whether they just want to learn a cartwheel so that they can show off at school, (laughs) you know? Yeah. It's, I mean, because the majority of athletes are never going to go to a centralized training facility. The majority of athletes are there because, like my daughter, she has a little extra energy. (laughs) and (laughs) She likes to flip, and I don't want her to to do something dangerous at home. So I take her to the gym. Um, you know, so a majority of athletes just do gymnastics for fun. And so that's what we want to make sure that continues to happen and, and happen in a very safe environment.
0: Um, I want to move on to a really kind of silly question, just to break the air <laughs> a little bit. What on earth do you do with all your hardware?
1: <laughs> um. <laughs> Well, I do keep it um typically in a safe deposit box. But I will tell you, um, I, they they really sat in a safe deposit box for a very long time. and And then occasionally I would be asked to bring them to an event or whatnot. And I kind of really never thought about it. And years ago, when I started to do that every now and then, I just watched the kids and the adults, mm-hmm. I will add. It just, their eyes got big and they didn't want to touch the medals, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I would say, no, it's you're fine. Put it on. Um, feel how heavy it is. Look at the engraving. This is, and I would tell them about the medal and, um, and it was just fascinating to kind of watch really how they would become inspired right there on the spot. Not necessarily to go win a gold medal, but just to maybe do something, that they've always wanted to do. And so I've really brought the medals a lot, a lot more um, to different events and different appearances and in different things that I do because, um, well, they, people like them probably more than they enjoy <laughs> me, but, but, um, but they, it really is a very special thing. Um, you know, it is the symbol of kind of all of that hard work, not just by mm-hmm. me, but by so many that, um, that got me to that position. And so it's kind of cool to be able to take my own well, and it's
0: the like it it's the symbol uh to show you know your greatness in the sport, and for really, really young gymnasts, you know yes. itty bitties they're they're not gonna know who you were um because they're itty bitties, and <laughs> so it's kind of like you know they they will realize more so than you know adults um you know just how spectacular you were. And to be close to that greatness is, you know, I see it with our players and I see it with, um, my friend is a, is a WWE wrestler. And like, you see how the kids react, you know, when they know, when they find out that they're like an athlete and it's, it's really, really cool to see. Um, I'll tell you, I've interviewed some ridiculously amazing women for this podcast who are really big and, sports business but their names aren't necessarily household names so people are like yeah, yeah yeah I mean that's great they're you know they're amazing women and when they listen to their stories they're like oh my god they're great but when I said your name like I had men in my office going what one of them <laughs> one of them you've been you've been his crush for a long time so um I think I think I sufficiently uh <laughs> impressed him today which is nice Uh, nice (laughs) yeah but people still get really excited about it so it's fun um and it
1: is and for me being kind of this far out I mean I'm two decades out of of the 96 game Mm -hmm. so for people to still share their stories of where they were and what they were doing and um you know while we won team or or the balance beam it just it That's amazing to me that people and people smile. Mm -hmm. They just they remember that time and they smile. And it's so amazing to have been part of that.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, and like having touched people's lives that you've never even met. It has got to be an incredible feeling, personally. Um also a little overwhelming, I'm sure, at times.
1: <laughs> there there's been a few of uh, i I named my child Shannon, and you're who really yeah <laughs> All right. I mean that's like the highest honor that's pretty that's pretty amazing
0: there are so many shannons running around now uh, <laughs> <laughs> you uh when you've been a, when you you know kind of i guess retired from the sport, so to speak, you know um I'm guessing you had to do something with your energy, you know that that you had been focused so much on training, and you had been, you know, purposely um, putting all your energy to there, and you had education, but physically, what did you do um, to kind of keep yourself not from going crazy?
1: <laughs> well, um, so at first, I did nothing, <laughs> and um, which must I, have I felt pull...
0: amazing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, it will, and I don't really know that it did. it's It's very interesting. and and you probably have experienced this with other athletes that you know. But there is this um, letdown almost mm-hmm. um, when you come off, you know, whether it's professional, whether it's Olympic, and um you have this thing that you've been training for for so long. and and you train with basically your family. You've got your teammates there, and you know my my team, my gym in Oklahoma where I grew up and trained. I mean, that's where I spent 40 hours a week for how many years. And then it's kind of like overnight that's gone. And especially when you retire at the ripe old age of 19, (laughs) it's a little overwhelming. And my parents did a great job of really helping me understand from a very early age that education comes first, period. We love you. We will support you in this gymnastics thing. Um, I know you want to like do this Olympics, honey, but did you finish your math homework? (laughs) And and that's just how it was. Um, I had my chores. I had my family life, but then there was the gym and that's just kind of what I did in my extra time. And so when I came off of the Olympic games and kind of, I continued on with school um, and I was very shy growing up, extremely shy interviews. There's no way I could do an hour interview because I would say two words or I would nod (laughs) on the phone. Um, It was excruciating for me. And so I really just, I had moved to campus. I stayed in my apartment. My best friends were Jerry Seinfeld and Jennifer Aniston. (laughs) And um, I ate and I went to class and I ate and I ate (laughs) and not that, um, I had any issues or anything, but I just didn't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to join a gym because that was just embarrassing. I'd never been on a treadmill before. Gymnasts just didn't do that. Um, we're, we're an anaerobic sport, so I will do balance beam or swing on a bar, but I, I don't know about this running thing. I can run. We always say gymnasts can run 70 feet and then we either have to lay down or <laughs> a springboard. <It's, laughs> I don't run. It's not That's amazing. Do. So it was a very odd time and it was really during that time that I began to really understand that I wasn't taking care of my own health. Um, I wasn't being healthy about what I ate. It's not that I was eating that bad, but I went from eating five or six full meals a day, trying to keep up with the calories that I was burning through gymnastics to continuing to eat five or six full meals a day but with zero exercise. Mm -hmm. That's not a good equation. (laughs) So um, I started doing a lot more research and and thinking about health and nutrition and overall wellness. And I tried the whole, I'm never going to eat chocolate and that didn't work. That lasted maybe 18 hours (laughs) and I ate everything in the house and then I went and bought chocolate. (laughs) So I started on this idea of everything in moderation. That's something I could handle. I realized it did not have the willpower for these very specific diets and giving up things. I I just couldn't do it. And so that's really where I started to get this focus on women's health. And so it began to build from there over the years and and throughout more and more education. Mm -hmm. But um, that's how I ended up starting my company. It really wasn't because I was an athlete. It was really what happened after sport that made me think about my health. You
0: um, you mentioned something about the letdown after, you know, you've been training and all of this. And the first thing that popped into my head was, well, you know what you missed when you didn't take the bar exam? That same exact feeling. Um, <laughs> seriously, it was the most anticlimactic thing in the world. And everybody I know was like, like for a week, like, zombies not sure of, like what the hell was going on in their life and um i remember being like yeah i'm gonna go out and i'm gonna i'm gonna you know celebrate and then like that night i ended up actually at the emergency room with 103 degree fever oh um, no oh, yeah <laughs> but like a lot of people i know had that same like this is just weird like what's what's next um So, you know, in a a minor way, I I understand. (laughs) How did you guys' National Pizza Day go? Mine included a medium Florentine pizza with bacon. (laughs) Just for myself, a medium. I'm still eating it today as I record this a couple days later. Um, This is why I absolutely need to have an app like Lifesum. It's an app that can help you achieve your healthiest uh, and happiest lives. Um, Not only can you track your food, but if you're on a certain quote-unquote plan on it, you can get a rating every day. This cute little apple guy, girl, person thing will, you know, check in with you so you can put your weight on there. But really, it's just great so that you can see your water intake, your fruit and vegetable intake uh, you could track all sorts of different things it can include your um, workouts and syncs to different parts of your phone and then if you're really into looking for a weight loss solution they've got this three-week program that will really jumpstart any diet that you have um and You can add friends, which to me is so cool because I just need that push sometimes. Do you? Um, So make sure you go to lifesum.com slash LTPF and sign up. And when you use the code LTPF, you'll get 30% off of a premium subscription. So... Check it out, lifesum.com slash LTPF, and let's be lifesome friends, and you guys can poke at me when I'm eating too much bacon. All right? You did take some time to write a memoir, though.
1: Well, that was much later. So um, I actually wrote my book after... Um, a can- my cancer diagnosis, and it was actually not <laughs> inside secret. So it's actually not supposed to be a memoir. It did <laughs> not start out as a memoir. I actually started writing this short story for uh, my website, and in really, it was just on the heels of chemo. It was basically ramblings of someone who's just finished up chemo on a lot of medication, and <laughs> this it, it was really very cathartic. This is what I'm feeling, and it. I, for me, it was healthy to write those things down and to just kind of also invite people in um, because uh, the type of cancer I had was ovarian, and there just are not enough survivors of ovarian cancer. Right. There's more and more each day, and that's the good news, but there's not enough. And so I felt like being able to share that story and that journey um, was important for me and hopefully important for others as well. And I kept having people write me and ask, well, well, when are you going to write the full book? When are you going to write your whole book? (laughs) And I thought, what are they talking about? (laughs) And, and they wore me down. And two years later I decided, okay, well, we'll take a few chapters to a publisher and see what they think. And I really wanted it to be kind of more on the the self-help genre. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically it was, you know, these are, these are the things, these are the lessons I learned through gymnastics, through sport that helped me during my cancer journey. And you don't have to have gone to an Olympics or have worn a leotard in order to, um, learn from these lessons or take these lessons with you on your journey, whether that's a financial crisis, whether that's a health issue or any other challenge you face, you can utilize these, this mindset and these lessons to help you through. And so that's really what it started with. (laughs) And of course, then as publishers do, Oh, but you need to add more about your gymnastics career. And and what about your early life? People are going to want to know. So um, I actually interviewed my parents because honestly, I, I couldn't remember about <laughs> what happened when I was six and seven and eight course, years old. Yeah. So, um, so it was, it was kind of fun. I mean, interviewed my parents and, um, and the funny thing is, you know, stories that they had told me for a long time, they all of a sudden they changed. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't get to change that. What are you talking about? I thought I was five when this happened. And now you're saying I was seven when this happened. And, um, but it was just, it was funny and it was um, just, it was a fun experience. And I actually w- was finishing up writing the book um, after my daughter was born. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was writing at 3 a.m. in between feedings and <laughs> it was a little bit crazy.
0: Yeah. But, but um,
1: it, I mean, it's sounds- it, was, it was a good experience. And it, in the book, for me, it's been a nice thing to have out there that, you know, when people read it, it makes them feel like they can face a challenge and they, they could do it.
0: I think that, I mean, I, I love that you you wrote it to begin with and, and the why behind starting to write it, you know, um, and the fact that it comes from such a, you know, personal place. You know, it's easy. I feel like it's, kind of easy to write a memoir and still not be personal i know that sounds weird but i've i feel like i've read some that you're like okay i know nothing more about you than what i could have found on wikipedia um, yes and so going through that um you know i'm sure not only being cathartic and and kind of fun right to to interview your parents but kind of put some things in perspective for you in a different way i'm sure
1: It does. Absolutely. And, you know, obviously it was very emotional Mm -hmm. trying to write it. Um, you know, so in some ways it's just completely draining, but when you have the finished product, it's, it's just worth it. Well, and it's
0: something that your daughter will have, right. For, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) for forever. And I, that's the one thing I do love about writing and, um, and, and storytelling is when it's in a, a medium where, you know, Generations down, will be able to, to see or hear it in your own words.
1: Absolutely. Uh,
0: the type of um, ovarian cancer that you uh, had was a really rare type, right?
1: It is. I mean, it's something like 4% of ovarian cancers are this type. It's a, a germ cell tumor and um, very, very little research. Mm-hmm. Has been done on it. Uh, more is going on right now, which is exciting. But um, I was very fortunate. I literally called up one day because I, I had I had launched my company um, in July of two thousand ten, and so that fall, I I called up my doctor. I was so crazy busy with work. (laughs) Um, I had started this foundation. We were starting programs with that in January. Our son had just turned a year old, you know, so we were (laughs) doing all that. And Christmas was coming out. You know, it was just, it was nuts. Like everybody's life, it was just nuts. Mm -hmm. And I called up to cancel my appointment just thinking, I feel fine. I'll just push it off to next year. It's not a big deal. And as I was waiting on hold— I just had this overwhelming feeling of guilt, and it was just, I mean, the the fact that I had spent the last two months with breast cancer and um, all different types of cancers, Uh, I was hosting a radio show at the time. On every Saturday, I was interviewing physicians and nurses about every health topic out there, and it was constantly, you know, don't skip your exams, early Early detection is key, and here I was about to cancel an exam. And so when the receptionist came back on the line, I said, you know, look, I I can't come in on the date that it's scheduled, but maybe you can just put me on the list for the first available. I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll get there. And she said, oh, well, that's great because there was a cancellation on the other line. Can you come over now? <laughs> <laughs> And I just thought about the ten thousand things I needed to accomplish that morning that were not going to happen. But I drove over there, and that was the morning that within about fifteen minutes he found a baseball-sized tumor on my left ovary. Oh my god! It and the fact that he found it is so amazing because these types of cysts can hide; they're very hard to detect. There is no specific test for ovarian cancer. Period. So the fact that he understood that this was significant, and we did the four to six weeks of we need to wait and observe, maybe it's going to go away on its own, we don't know exactly what we're dealing with, but he continued in that time to do any kind of test or procedure that, that was available. And he also consulted almost immediately with a gynecologic oncologist, and that probably saved my life. Um, because the um, the gynecologist can perform the surgery. An oncologist is going to just kind of perform it in a way that's a little bit more specific if it were to be cancer. And he did end up doing the surgery, and that's when I found out that it was cancer, Uh, really just waking up from surgery. So for me, it was just kind of a very roundabout way of finding out, I always say I was I was very lucky, and that's why I kind of scream from the rooftops about early detection and about seeing your doctor and um, not taking those signs and symptoms for granted because I totally did, and I left my health up to luck and I don't want other women to do that. We just can't. It's too important. Absolutely,
0: um, you know I I think it's it's funny those little feelings we get from time to time that end up, uh, whether it's like a gut intuition about, you know, something that doesn't feel right, but everyone's like, no, no, it's all in your head, or that little feeling of guilt you had. Um, uh, we have to be better as women um, at listening to ourselves, our inner, our inner voice, I think, sometimes.
1: Absolutely. You know, it's it's funny. I I was asked so many times when I when I went public with the diagnosis. Once I finally knew what it was, um, I was doing an interview one day, and it happened to be at our home. And usually, my husband's not there when I'm doing interviews, but it was at our home, and and he had come home for lunch. And you know, I was going through chemo, and um, and they asked me, "Well, did you have any signs and symptoms?" And I said, "No. I I just know this was out of the blue." and Afterwards, he he kind of said, hey, now, do you remember all of those stomach aches? Do you remember calling me at work? You were doubled over with pain. And I remembered it. I was, my stomach and my lower back had hurt so bad. I was on the floor, on all fours. And I called him because I wasn't sure how I was going to get our baby out of his crib after nap time. (laughs) And, um, but but here I am, it. You know, it went away, and so I charged on. I didn't even give him another thought. I went into my doctor's office, and I told him I felt fine. I disregarded the six pounds I lost in a month because I thought, cool, I'm losing baby weight. <laughs> <laughs> you, know? Yeah. I, um, you know, when I couldn't fit into my, my favorite suit for a meeting, um, I thought, well, it's time, that time of the month. I'm just bloated. You know, we we have all these great excuses for things, especially with benign seeming symptoms like that. That um, that you're right. We just we need to do a better better job of listening to our bodies and then acting on those those concerns.
0: And you've spent you know your now adult life basically um, touting the wellness and and you know health, especially for women. with your company as well. Um, Can you talk a little bit about Shannon Miller Lifestyle and some of the things that you're doing with that?
1: Absolutely. Uh, So Shannon Miller Lifestyle came about really when I wanted to start um, the company. And I started with um, books, if you can imagine, because now everything is just on your, on your phone, it's on YouTube. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but I started with these to go yoga books and to go fitness books because I thought I'm the type of person and I can't imagine I'm alone that I get to the gym, I'm all revved up, ready to go. And I look at the equipment and I have no idea what to do. And I just kind of stand there looking around, and sometimes I do what other people are doing, but I don't know if it's right for me, or I just get intimidated, and then I just go over to the elliptical, do my thing, and leave. So (laughs) I thought, you know, I want to make it easy. So here are, you know, 50 moves that you can do at home, in the gym, wherever you want. Um, Here's some routines in the back. So just bring your little booklet with you and and get to it. And and you don't have to be nervous or intimidated because anyone can do these. And so I started with that, and then all of a sudden it just began to snowball, and it really became a business, um, really multifaceted, which is great for me because I like to do something different every single day. (laughs) And so it involved writing, and it involved um, a website that was content-based so that we could really focus on um, women and their health with regard to motherhood as as regarded to, you know, fitness, of course, and nutrition, but also getting a good night's sleep and the importance of general wellness and taking that me time. And And our mission became really to help women make their health a priority. Instead of just getting fit because you want to look good in your clothes, let's get fit so you can run and, and play with your kids. Let's get fit so you feel strong and confident when you go give that proposal at work. You know, We need to be healthy so that we can be here for all of those who depend on us. And that's not a selfish act to go to the gym or to take time to sit down and have a decent lunch instead of just grabbing coffee and running. And so I wanted women to really take a look at um, all the things they do for others and then take a look at where they, where they put themselves on that list And maybe just move themselves up the list a little (laughs) bit. Um, And I think that's healthy. And sometimes we just need someone to say, it's okay to do that. You're not being selfish. Because think about the fact that, you know, when when a woman goes down, (laughs) it's tough on a lot of people, whether (laughs) it's work, whether it's family, whether it's who gets the kids ready for school, it's tough. And I watched that happen with my mother she's also a cancer survivor. Um, I watched her for so many years, put off appointments because she was busy working or busy taking care of us and putting herself last. And I watched it with me when I couldn't get out of bed for weeks at a time. And here I had this child that was depending on me. But I also knew that the most important thing was to get better so that So that he had a mom. And so it's just become this passion. And, you know, some days are light and fun. And it's about making, you know, fitness fun, doing 10-minute fitness videos. And other days, it's a little more emotional. It's a little tougher going out. And I honestly never imagined my life would be traveling around the country talking about my ovaries. (laughs) (laughs) Not not really what I envisioned. Not in my life plan, but it's important. (laughs) Um, and it's important, you know, when when I can hug another survivor, and when we can share stories with each other, and when we can make it better for those that may soon be diagnosed, um, that's a good thing. And, and we partner with a lot of different programs and companies that do great things. And so I can use my voice, I can use my background to also help expand their voice.
0: Yeah, you. Um, some of the you have some really interesting. Partnerships. Um, I'm going to say this wrong. Uh, Tessaro or Tessaro?
1: Tessaro, there you go. (laughs) Is
0: one of your partners. What do do you do with them?
1: So, Tessaro is um, focused on, or at least my work with Tessaro is really focused on um, advanced ovarian cancer survivors and their families and their physicians and really changing the way we talk about ovarian cancer and really opening up the discussion so that their needs are being met. And so this is yes, pre-diagnosis. What are the signs and symptoms? What are the things that women need to know to help detect this disease earlier? But then also what happens once you're diagnosed Um, over 22,000 women in the United States Will be diagnosed with ovarian cancer, and unfortunately, many of these women will be diagnosed at a later stage. That means that reoccurrence is more likely. So, how do we take that anxiety and that fear that women feel, even even with a good prognosis, or even after they're in remission? Um, even for me, as as a as someone who who got lucky and I'm cancer free. But I still go back. I still have to go to those appointments. And there is a level of anxiety with going to that appointment and not knowing if today's the day it's going to have come back. And so it's not just about the medical. It's not just about the diagnosis, it's not just about early detection. But what about that that post-treatment phase where women are still dealing with a lot of the effects of treatment? Um, I know <laughs> for me, the fatigue, um, and I always talk about the fatigue because it's, I, I had to try to find a way to explain it to people around me because I felt like I was just being lazy, but it wasn't laziness. It wasn't, I'm tired today. It was laying in bed for 15 minutes, trying to figure out how I was going to move my right leg four inches over so I could kind of start getting out of bed. How was, how was I going to sit up today? I, I mean, it, It was I'd never I've never been through something like that. Certainly as an Olympic athlete. That was not my biggest goal getting up in the morning. But but these are the real issues that people go through, the neuropathy. Um for me in my own um journey, the neuropathy in my hands, I it was close to a year before I could open a bottle of water by myself. Oh my god. I used to swing around the bars. Um, So there's, you know, there's the nausea, there's, there's all these things. And, and oftentimes when treatment ends, it's like, you're supposed to go back to normal immediately. And sometimes we feel that way ourselves, like, okay, treatment's over. I I need to be normal again. I need to go back to the 50,000 things I do every day. And sometimes it's feels like family and friends and work feel like, okay, treatment's over. I guess she's fine so now she's going to be hundred percent and it's just not the case. And so we have to prepare ourselves and we also have to prepare our loved ones for that, that understanding that this is now the next step in the journey. And this is finding the new normal. And that doesn't mean you're not going to get back to pretty darn close to normal, but it's just a way of thinking about it so that you're not anxious and nervous and, Upset with a lack of progress sometimes, and and that's something I'm so glad I had my mother to talk to, and so many women they don't have anyone to talk to that's kind of in the thick of it and going through it, and so this is a way for women all over to share their voices and to share their journeys, and and everyone's journey is a little different, but there are a few things that we have in common. You know, how do you share? Your bald head with your children, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know. Um, there are just things that are really helpful um, when we're able to communicate and talk about things and and find ways to share share with our caregivers and our physicians as well. Everyone has to be on the same page. It has to be a team.
0: What a great partnership and and you know program because I mean I I think we all have unreasonable expectations on ourselves just day-to-day anyway, right, without a, <laughs> yeah. a cancer diagnosis. And then I can only imagine what that pressure feels like, um, especially if, if you do have, you know, dependents. You know, you have kids or um, a spouse. And so um, I think that is just – it's lovely that you do that.
1: Um, well, and it's, it, the, the program's called Our Way Forward, which is very fitting, but it is, it's, it's a way, at the end of the day, it's a way to make sure that you, you don't feel like you're in this alone. Yeah. And that's a big deal.
0: It absolutely is. Um, you, you also, I mean, you haven't fully taken, taken yourself out of gymnastics, um uh, I know I noticed that you <laughs> no,
1: that'll never happen. <laughs> Once a so gymnast, always a gymnast. <laughs> I,
0: I noticed that um you have the Shannon Miller Gold Cup coming up.
1: Yes. <laughs> this this is a new venture. <laughs> um so but it's a lot of fun. I've actually I've stayed involved with the sport um primarily uh with the Olympic movement. I have been an analyst or commentator uh at every Olympic game since I was competing. <laughs> And so I get to go to the Olympics and call it work, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> it's a rough life. <laughs> it's, a, it's a rough life. <laughs> Although I will say my husband's last uh, last Olympics, oh, well, I'll come and and maybe we can think about bringing the kids or not. They're a little young, but I'll come and we'll hang out. And it's Rio. And, and he, he came up to London for a couple of days, but it was kind of that, okay, but just understand I'm going to be working 14 to 16 hour days. (laughs) So maybe come after gymnastics is over, (laughs) then I can breathe. But, um, but it is fun. I've really enjoyed that. I'm an Olympic junkie. I'm a sports junkie. I just, I love it. Um, I will be jumping up and down during the winter games. Um, but for me, it's been, it's been great to be involved with the sport, especially going in. You know, whether it's talking to athletes um, or different things. I used to give clinics a long time ago on balance beam, which was always my favorite. Mm-hmm. But this is a new venture. It's called the Shannon Miller Gold Cup. And this is just a competition, it's a small competition um, where athletes are able to get feedback. Directly from the judges. So, you know, you finish a bar routine and oftentimes you get a score and then you go home and you train your routines and then you go to another meet and you get a score and it just kind of repeats. Mm-hmm. Well, we wanted our meet to allow for feedback. What are the judges looking for? What, what areas do they see that maybe I didn't understand, or maybe I just needed to hear it in a different way. Mm-hmm. And this is something my coach always talked about, he would tell me to point my toes, you know, a thousand times. And then we'd have some clinician or judge come in the gym for a day and say, uh, you need to point your toes on that. And I would say, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as if I'd never heard that before, but I would do it. And so sometimes we just need to hear it from a different source. And mm-hmm. and so that's what we provide is, is really that feedback. So a judge might say, you know, I really think you did a great job on that kip, but but oh, just don't don't forget to to keep your knees straight while you're doing it. And you you'll get there, you know. Just so give them some encouragement, but also give them a little bit of something to work on when they go back to the gym. Um, we also provide free educational clinics on everything from. Um, you know, what are what are colleges looking for? Because gymnastics is a great way to get college paid for, frankly. <laughs> and um, it's a great way to do something that you love while getting a great education. Um, how do you fuel your body for success? You know, it's important that athletes understand nutrition and understand uh, fueling their body for success. And how do you prevent or treat injuries? Those types of things. So we bring in experts in their field, and we open it up. And, and all of these clinics are free for athletes, parents, coaches. We want the education to be available for them. And so that's kind of what we've focused on. This was our second year coming up, so we're excited. But our first year went great. We had so much fun, and, and the kids had a great time.
0: When is it this year?
1: Well, technically, it'll be 2019. It's going to be January of 2019.
0: Oh. Um, sorry, I'm like, I know I... <laughs> Obviously, I saw it, but I didn't write the date down. So um, how do people sign up if they want to or, or compete if they would like to?
1: Um, absolutely. So it's very easy. Um, my website is shannonmiller.com. So that's an easy one to remember. <laughs> or <laughs> if you want to go directly to the competition site, it's shannonmillergoldcup.com. And we take all levels, um, USAG athletes, and we're also opening it up to AAU athletes.
0: Very cool. I may have to come over and just do some, some uh, watching, and and maybe we'll do a recap interview at that point. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it could be fun. Um, and you recently um, made an appearance at Blogger Hell. How was that?
1: It was great. Uh, you know, it was. Uh, it's great to have so many people that are interested in the field of health for women, um, to get inspired together, to get passionate together, to, um, have a voice together. So for me, um, obviously going and and having the opportunity to talk about something I'm passionate about with it, which is, um, ovarian cancer and, um, and making sure that women understand the signs and symptoms and the importance of the continued fight, fight to, um, have more research done so that there maybe one day can be a better test that will detect it earlier. Um, You know, the ultimate goal obviously is a cure. Um, But until that point, how do we get a better test? How do we recognize the signs and symptoms better? How do we um, find that diagnosis a little earlier? How do we help those that are already diagnosed? And um, how do we help those loved ones that are already going through a cancer diagnosis, how do we better support them? Um, those are all, they're all difficult questions and they're very challenging, but I think, you know, when we come together and we really talk about these these issues, um, so much progress can be made.
0: It's, um, it's fun with where the internet is now that we're able to really collectively... Um, I don't know, problem solve, right? And find these niche groups of um, like-minded people and um, and get to know those communities. Um, and I know Blogger um, is one of those great opportunities to do that.
1: Well, it's great as there were, uh, you know, throughout the two days and throughout the conference, you know, women are talking about every issue out there, you know, from fitness to um again, going back to me time or or just having that, that moment for yourself each day and nutrition and different health challenges. There really is something for everyone. And especially leading into this month, which is heart health month. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's, everything is so important. And, and I think it's important to have the voice out there consistently, um, because it's not just about one awareness day or one awareness month. It's really about a consistent voice out there, um, so that we don't forget, uh, or it doesn't get, um, you know, pushed down the the pile of things that you have to do <laughs> every single day. Oh, we really need to to think about our health every day.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm I'm still learning how to do that. I guess, uh, and I, I and I, I don't this even is my have job kids, and I'm
1: still learning. <laughs> how
0: to do it. I say, like, I don't even... Some
1: days are much more challenging than others.
0: (laughs) Sure. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do when I'm, you know, eventually in a relationship, maybe have kids. Like, I can barely do it now. Um, I I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your foundation.
1: So my foundation, I started um, actually with my husband in 2007. And it was originally geared towards um, fighting childhood obesity. Um, so critical during that time. Uh, we saw it you know, become more, um, gain greater awareness um, in the years following, which was great. And my focus has always really been on the activity portion, getting kids active, especially with cutbacks in physical education for children. And, and not really just physical education as we know it as PE, but physical activity. And I always feel like there's a difference Um we need to get kids active, not just learning about being active, but actually being active. Right. And that's really important. And and of course, having kids, I see that every day. Um, They need and they love and they thrive on activity. And so much research supports the importance of having um, at least 60 minutes of physical activity for kids each day. And so how do we best go Go about helping that happen, and and understandably, <laughs> um, for better or worse, I guess um, schools have still cut back on physical education. So we decided we were going to take our program into the school system, offer it for free, and just say, "Hey, look, give us thirty minutes. We're going to give you thirty minutes of activity." and um, so we started these running clubs, which actually are running, jumping, skipping, dancing, walking, <laughs> whatever you want to do, whatever forward motion any child wants to have. And, and some girls get out there, and they just walk and talk, and that is their time to get that done, <laughs> and it's great. But then guess what they're not doing in class? Right. Talking while the teacher talks. <laughs> they're paying attention. So, you know, it's it, it serves so many different purposes. We've seen um, so many kids um, – that had maybe some behavioral problems become leaders in their class and in their school because they found that they were really good runners or they really enjoyed this or they just kind of needed to get the activity out. Yeah. So we have a little over 8,000 children in our programs now. Um, and we're elementary, a few middle schools, but mostly elementary schools. And um, it's just been a really tremendous program. It's, it's been a wonderful way to hopefully help the next generation find their love for physical activity.
0: Wow, that's fantastic! Where um, are the schools? Are they all in Florida? Or
1: they are—they're all um, the Jacksonville area, yeah. first coast.
0: Wow, yeah. that's incredible, Shannon, um, and and so important to to be doing. I, one of my good friends now is um, the executive director of Girls on the Run in Tampa Bay. And, oh, it's a great program. Yeah. And it's very similar, um, in terms of just like, you know, the changes that you'll see in the, in the kids, um, after they've been through the program. So
1: it is, it's, it's goal setting skills, it's leadership, it's perseverance. And it, it is just learning that fitness can be fun.
0: Yeah. Although I still need to remember that from time to time.
1: <laughs> well, we have, a we have a, and uh, we tend to find as adults ways to make fitness not fun instead of keeping it fun.
0: I know, I know. Although I have found a few things that I like. It's just a matter of, you know, spending the money on it, (laughs) which can be difficult (laughs) sometimes. But, uh, you know, for you, what is it that you do by way of self-care?
1: Generally or fitness-related? Generally. I sleep as much as I can. <laughs> um, in fact, I, all of my friends would make fun of me, even from a young age, even during my competition days. I could fall asleep at the drop of the hat. I would fall asleep during stretching. <laughs> I would fall asleep. I, everyone would be nervous for the Olympics. We were on the bus headed over to the venue, and I'm asleep. I am <laughs> passed out. I, it's it's the way I handle stress, and now even as a mom. Um, you know, I, I'm very blessed with kids that like to sleep. So, um, so I get eight or nine hours a night. Um, I won't say every night because there are some late nights or early mornings, but I do, it's just something that's critical for me is it it just kind of makes everything else work. And I'm more productive during the day. Um, fitness is another one. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I, feel better. I'm more productive. I have more energy. I am more sane (laughs) when I have some physical activity and it doesn't have to be 45 minutes or an hour. If I do 10 good minutes, then, okay, I'm, I got something done. And then I might do 10 more minutes during lunchtime or 10 more minutes before bed, but it just makes me feel good to move my body and get something done. Sure. And, I think nutrition is probably where I have the most difficult time, because I eat like a (laughs) five-year-old, so, and (laughs) I'm not very good at cooking. I I like what I like, and I'm kind of one of those old dogs that doesn't want to learn new tricks (laughs) or try new things. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, but I have my go-to meals, and they're what I like, and so nutrition for me could be better. Mm -hmm. I could do a lot better with eating vegetables. Um, so I could do a lot better with, um, hydrating more, drinking a lot more water throughout the day. So I know my, (laughs) my, my tough points. I won't say my complete failures, but um, the, the challenges I have, I know what they are. I try to work on them as best I can, but I also, I also don't beat myself up about them too much because, you know, if, if you look at your health as a whole, you know, if you slip up here or there, you just can't worry about it that much. If you're just kind of doing your best each day and making maybe one small positive change each day, then you're doing pretty good.
0: Yeah. I mean, so sleep is so my jam. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I am one of those people who I I am best if I've gotten about nine hours of sleep. And (laughs) Um, I was always the person, like the kid, my parents were like, you need to get the hell out of bed. It's 11 o'clock. And I'm like, whatever, like, I don't have to go anywhere. They're like, no, get out of bed. And even to this day, it's funny. So Jerry's, um, helping us record and he'll laugh. Like some days I'll be like, listen, I know I need to get you something, but I'm going to bed at seven o'clock tonight because (laughs) life hasn't been great to me today. Um, I barely slept last night and nobody is going to get through tomorrow if I don't get 13 hours of sleep. So
1: <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. I mean, we're so, we, we laugh cause we're, you know, we just, we are not all that glamorous. We, we <laughs> don't put the kids to bed and then go out for the evening we put the kids <laughs> to bed and then we're out within like 30 minutes. It's, and, and they go to bed early. So
0: yeah, it, um, really, I don't know what
1: we're going to do when they become teenagers.
0: <laughs> eh, just let them, like, run run around crazy. Um, it's totally a new thing to do. I, yeah, I just, I really, like, when people are like, so what do you do when you're not working? I'm like, sleep, um, hang out with my cats, <laughs> like, <laughs> eat cupcakes. I don't know. <laughs> like, what do you do? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I hear you on the sleep. And the nutrition thing, I mean, clearly I, I have a thing for cupcakes. Um but it, it, that, that can be so hard, it, and it, it's funny. I've been trying to play with some, like, different apps and stuff like that, and you just learn, like, it, again, we're so hard on ourselves, right? So, like, we think that, like, oh, I ate a cupcake, therefore the rest of the day is going to be complete <laughs> crap, And when we, like, really just need to take a pause and be like, you know what? I really enjoyed that cupcake. That cupcake will get me through the rest of the day being <laughs> healthy. And so I'm like trying to turn that.
1: (laughs) Well, and that's how I deal with sugar because I, I love sugar and, and I know it's not right. And I I get that, (laughs) but I really enjoy sugar, but I just try to make it count. I, I don't want to eat sugar that I'm not going to really enjoy. Mm -hmm. I, I've got to really enjoy it or I'm not going to waste, waste my time on it or the calories on it. Yeah. (laughs) It has to be worth my while.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, have you read any books recently that you're just like you love that you like to recommend to people?
1: Oh goodness. Um not that I'm gonna recommend to people. <laughs> I <laughs> read I read a ton. I I, my husband will ask because I'm I I go through a book every two days. I mean I'm oh my I gosh. Am a voracious reader. Um but you know, a fair amount of it's mind candy. Yeah, it's you know, it's uh, John Sanford. It's you know, um, those types of things. Uh, Jonathan Kellerman. I've been reading that. But so it's this is not these are not business books. I do no. like um, to read biographies and, and business books. But I'm trying to think what my last one was. Brain I'm candy is here
0: on my brain. Candy is good too. Uh, uh,
1: it that's what helps me go to sleep. <laughs> I read and I read mm-hmm. my Kindle until I fall asleep. And I understand that someone who does sleep training is going to say, no, don't do that. But (laughs) it works for me. Sure.
0: I I try and read a little bit right before I go to sleep every night, too. And for me, it just depends on, like, my mood and level of tiredness. So if I'm super tired, it's going to be more brain candy than it's going to be anything else. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. I found a book I just read, Jim oh. Collins. I love Jim Collins. Um, so I read Good to Gr- Good, Great by Choice, mm-hmm. um, which I would highly recommend All right. anyone read that book. Um, so that was – this was like in my shelves. But, um, but yeah, I enjoy I enjoy books um, about entrepreneurship because I think I have that mindset. Sure. But sometimes I feel like um, if we can get it in our own way <laughs> – so how do I challenge my thinking and how do I get out of the box? Because I, I tend to be a two plus two equals four kind of gal. Mm-hmm. So I have a hard time, to- harder time being uh, more creative and more out of the box in my thinking. So I try to push myself in those directions.
0: And what kind of um, books are more your brain candy books?
1: Um, again, I, so I've been reading Jonathan Kellerman. I just finished up, I don't know, I think it's the 22 book series of the John Sanford Prey series. Wow. Um, I know, and it's just they can't write them fast enough. I need them to write faster.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So a good friend of mine from law school um, just put out a book that I think you'll like. It's called The Devil's Song, and her name is Lauren Stahl. Um, And I'll send you a a little link, but I think you'll really like it. It's a a little bit, you know, like suspicious, fence-ish, um, the, the main character is a lawyer, she works for, um, a prosecutor's office, and, um, there's a bunch of, like, twists and turns, and it's just, like, it's super easy read, it's kind of funny at times, it, it was, she just got, um, dropped it recently, and I was like, this is, I can't believe a friend of mine just wrote this.
1: Nice, yeah, yeah. give me that.
0: It's super, it's, it's great, I've been, um, uh, plugging it with everyone, um,
1: I love series because I get involved with the character story and, yeah. then I, and then I want to keep going. But so I haven't, I keep going from series to series. But like I said, I, I read really fast. So <laughs> they need to write faster.
0: <laughs> yeah, I do that too. I, and I am always like, oh man, I need more. Uh, we've, I've pushed her. She's going to make this, I think, a series. Um, and nice. she, she left it in a good way that it'd be a really easy way to do it but yeah I I mean and I'll read all like the young adult ones that like you know I'm 37 and a 16 year old is reading but I still think it's great (laughs) Um, how can people follow you and um, what you're up to these days
1: oh goodness so definitely my website at shannonmiller.com and then Instagram and Twitter at shannonmiller96 of course and um, and then Facebook is Shannon Miller official great well so
0: thank you so much for being on we really appreciate it
1: absolutely thanks so much for having me thank you again
0: to Shannon for agreeing to be on the pod and for having such a nice conversation with me Uh, I learned so much about her and uh, I hope you all did too Please make sure you are subscribing, rating, and reviewing the podcast. You can catch it on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, or RadioInfluence.com. Those are my guys. And you can follow us on all the social media. And by all the social media, I mean the big three, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, and it's at LTPFPod. Um, You can email us at LTPFpod at gmail.com. Check out the website, ltpfpod.com, and you can follow me on my personal Twitter at Bobby Sue. B-O-B-B-I-S-U-E. I hope you all have a wonderful week. I'm really, really excited about our next interview because it is one of my all time favorite like icons um of running. And I'm I'm sure you're sick of the running and I don't care. This woman is just incredible. So We'll catch you next week. Bye.
2: This is The Crush Report with Jeff Cruchel. How are the big food and soda companies accessing our children to promote their products? And is it time to rebrand exercise to get away from the concept that it's an effective weight loss tool? We spoke with Dr. Yoni Friedhoff. The problem is, is when we look at population-based studies, both in adults and kids, and truly around the globe, this idea of exercise as a preventative or a treatment for obesity has been incredibly disappointing. People don't seem to, despite huge amounts of exercise, um, get any handle on their weight unless they also simultaneously change their diet. And so for Coca-Cola, getting involved in causes that promote a message that's Coke-friendly, which is exercise and you can have Coke, and also getting involved with causes that are beyond reproach—it's hard to, uh, you know, wrap your head around knocking a company that's giving, for instance, dollars or charity, however you want to describe it, uh, to youth sport. But you know, I think it's important for people to remember this isn't charity; this is marketing. If it was charity, they'd be giving checks with no strings attached. Uh, ultimately, we end up. Uh, serving as unwitting marketers for all sorts of folks who probably shouldn't have access to ourselves or our kids, but that's just the world that we've created over the course of the past 50 years. Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. If you're a serious athlete, a weekend warrior, parent, or coach, join us each week as we investigate the latest trends and research coming out of the sport performance world. We'll visit with top athletes, coaches, and sports scientists to keep you on the cutting edge and to find out what it truly takes to achieve human maximum performance. You can visit us online at CrushPerformance.com, and Crush Performance Radio with me, Jeff Kershaw, can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and at Radio Influence.